Well, good morning, my church family. Today is July the 12th, which means that we are now 18 weeks into our church body's experiment with what does it look like to do virtual church. But that also means that we are just one short week away from a couple of ways that we can once again uh, attempt to connect with one another during this time. Please make sure to watch the video announcement that I made last week or the one that John Mark posted for this week because there is some really good information included in it. But really briefly, I just want to say uh, that you are welcome next Sunday to join us at 8 a.m. here at the Skillman campus for an outdoor prayer service. We will ask that you RSVP in advance and, and please follow the, the protocols that we're trying to put in place to keep one another healthy. Also on July the 19th, you can join us at 10 a.m. online for what we are calling Fellowship Hour. We'll be hosting this call on Zoom and you can join us by a telephone, uh, by simply dialing the telephone number, or you can join us by video chat. And we would love for you to join us for that. Additionally, on July 21st and 23rd, we're going to be, again, hosting some Bible classes that will be held on Zoom. And be sure to look for information concerning those classes in the Wednesday email that goes out to our church body. Now, over the past two weeks, John Mark has led us in a discussion about the topics of hope and justice in the book of Isaiah. And these were incredibly important topics all throughout Isaiah's preaching career. And in fact, they were so influential. Isaiah was so influential that uh, he began a whole style of preachers and prophets who continued to live and work in the same way that he did for hundreds of years after his life. Isaiah preached and prophesied about these topics, the topics of hope and justice, because he believed that for the people of Israel to truly be who God had called them to be, they needed to pay special attention to the message that God had brought to them through him. That by living justly, they would provide hope, not just for the people in their nation or their tribe, but in all the world. Isaiah was interested in calling the nation of Judah and the people of Israel to be a community of people where God's reign was so evident in the way that they lived that nobody was forgotten, that no one was left out that there was no part of their society or culture or even the whole world that could be left untouched by God's kingdom. Justice had to prevail for everyone for it to truly be God's kingdom and for the people of Judah to truly be God's people. You see, Isaiah had a really big calling and he had a really big vision that God provided to him. Okay, so now let's fast forward about 2,700 years to today. I can remember as, as a kid when my family would be leaving church every Sunday, my parents would inevitably begin to ask me a handful of questions. And I'm sure that you had similar experiences yourself, maybe uh, as a child or even as a parent. And inevitably, one of those questions that they would always ask me was, how was church today? It's a common enough question, right? I think we ask that kind of a question to everybody that we care about. Any event or experience that they have in their life, and uh, we want to know how they're doing and what their life is like. We ask them a question like this, how was blank today? But it's such an interesting question, isn't it? Because it implies that something can either be good or bad. That something can have gone really right, or it could have gone really, really wrong. That you can have a good experience, or, or maybe a bad one, and even that somebody else might have a different experience all together. What's good for one person may not end up being as good for another. And yet we know that when we talk about the purpose of church and 
that the church doesn't exist to fulfill our desires or, or to give us what we want or what we need. That's not really what church is all about. No, we know that church is truly, honestly, about God. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to worship and to draw closer to God in response to God already trying to draw close to us. And so suddenly the question of whether church was good or, or bad begins to fade away from our minds, right? Okay, now I need to offer a disclaimer because uh, it's possible that either or both of my parents are watching this service right now, and I want to make sure that I do right by them. Because when they asked that question, they weren't really asking to get an answer of it was good or it was bad. And if you've asked this question before, uh, chances are that's possibly the answer that you got, but really you were looking for a different answer altogether. What my parents really wanted to know, and I'm sure what you or, or your parents wanted to know, was what happened at church? What did you learn? How, how were you affected? What was meaningful to you about that service, about that opportunity to worship with other believers? And those are vastly different questions than, than simply trying to say church was good or church was bad. But at the same time, I think all of us can say with honesty and integrity that we have been to some worship assemblies to some worship gatherings and services that have honestly just been flat out bad. They offered so little to us, and uh, likely they offered so little to God as well. And while we might be embarrassed to say that or, or to admit that to ourselves, chances are you have an experience or two in your back pocket that reminds you that that truth is neither convenient nor pretty. Even more concerning, than us in having to admit that some of the worship services we've been a part of have been bad, is hearing that sometimes God doesn't seem to like our worship either. In fact, in several places in the prophets, God uh, says flat out, I despise your worship assemblies. I despise your sacrifices. I don't want your offerings. You know that it's a bad day when God says that church was bad. If you've got a Bible today, that's exactly the kind of passage that we're going to be reading today, but uh, I think we're going to leave it on a, on a different foot than we are right now. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn over to Isaiah chapter 1 and read these verses with me. What should I think about all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm fed up with entirely burned offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't want the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from you, this trampling of my temple's courts? Stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly. I can't stand the wickedness with celebration. I hate your new moons and your festivals. They've become a burden that I'm tired of bearing. When you extend your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, I won't listen, for your hands are stained with blood. Isaiah writes this not because God does not want us to worship, and certainly not because God does not care about our worship. In fact, there are examples all over Scripture where God gives a specific instructions to the people about how to worship, uh, specific details that he wants them to include and to incorporate into their lives. It's not that God doesn't want worship. It's not that God doesn't care about worship. But God does care more about the way that we live than he does the way that we worship. In fact, that's not even the best way to say it. The best way to say it is that the way that we live is the way that we worship. God want, wants what Isaiah wants. Or, or more appropriately, Isaiah wants what God 
has always wanted. A people who are so formed by the character and nature of God that they are living out the attributes of God in the world in which they find themselves. So what is it that God wants from our worship? What does God want from our lives? Well, God wants our lives to bear the fruit of authentic worship. Worship that doesn't just take place in the tabernacles and temples and the synagogues and in the church pews. God wants worship that is loving. God wants worship that's oriented around a lifestyle of justice. God wants worship in which righteousness flows like a mighty stream. I love that passage from the prophet Amos that was read earlier in the service. The passage that says that this is what God desires, that that true worship is, is love, it's justice, it's righteousness. And by the way, these are not just values that we can just sprinkle into our lives. Or at least that's not the way the prophets seem to talk about them. They are so much more than that. Because justice is not just a human creation. It is a transcendent demand. Overflowing with divine concern. God wants worship. He wants justice in every corner of the world. Righteousness is not just an ethical or moral way of being and living in the world. It's God's part in our lives. It's the way that God lives through us. Love is not just a feeling that people have for one another. It is the foundation of all of creation, of all of the cosmos. God's triune self is based in love. These are not just ideas that we reach for when we interact with other people. They are the foundational elements, the building blocks of all of creation that is imbued with the presence of God. If we want to know how not to just be a Christian in name only, but if we want to know how to be a true follower of Jesus and a true worshiper of God, then we need to learn how to have these things grafted into our DNA. They need to become part of the very air that we breathe. They need to become the molecules that make up the surging waters that bring life substance and powerful testimony to the lives that we live, to the truth of who God is. They are the waters that Amos tells us will roll down in a mighty stream. Justice, righteousness, and love. Now, this is really significant and and even a, a bit discomforting, I think, because this means something significant for us today, or or at least it should, because it means that our actions matter more than our words, and and that our actions that are simply going through the motions are not worth, uh, they're not worthwhile to God. It means instead that there is work to be done to help bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And it means that there are things within us and all around us that need careful examination and perhaps change too. When we look within and we see the implicit bias of how we treat one type of person against another, it means that we're tempted into perpetuating that same injustice. We need to examine it and change it. And when we look without, it means that when we see systems or when we're a part of systems that don't bring love, justice, and righteousness to all of God's creation, then we must form a different way in the world. This passage from Isaiah has implications for us in every area of life. I mean, think of of every area of life uh, and apply this passage to it. All of a sudden, we have a very big job to do. Isaiah had a big message, a big calling. He had a big 
grand vision for what we are to be and how we're to live in the world. That when we look into labor conditions for people in other parts of the world and we see injustice, that it's our responsibility to help bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. That when we see economic concerns for uh, uh, the good creation that God has gifted to us, that we have a responsibility to be involved. When we look at ecological concerns, we have a responsibility to be involved in issues about race and gender and status, in economic practices that push down the poor and that profit the wealthy, in unsafe living conditions, in practices that discard the worth of the elderly or that leave no space for children, in issues that deal with immigration and the physical well-being of people in other parts of the world. I mean, do you see it? The type of justice that Isaiah is prophesying about is not just related to a personal value system. Isaiah's calling is to help bring justice to every corner of the earth so that all of creation will be remade into the new heavens and the new earth where there'll be no more sin and where the systems of injustice will fail and the reign of God will be evident everywhere. Isaiah is not just concerned with the idea of justice in our lives. And Isaiah won't be content if justice only ever remains an idea. Isaiah is speaking not for an idea, but for God. The God of justice. The God in whom justice is so closely aligned with his being and with his nature that you can't speak of one without the other. To worship God is to participate in a kingdom, a kingdom of justice. And it's not a kingdom that we can find in the nations or the empires of this world, whether they're political or otherwise. It's the kingdom that Jesus will later refer to as the kingdom of heaven. The very inbreaking of God's good recreation into the one that we have twisted and formed into our own self-image. Isaiah's calling is a big, massive He is inviting us to participate in this kingdom, the kingdom where hope reigns. And so this week, church, may we be people of this kingdom, the kingdom that Isaiah saw, that he prophesied about, that he invited the people of Israel and Judah to to be a part of. May we be people who are not just concerned with the idea of justice, but may we be people who can't help but do anything but lean into God's very self, and to bring God's self here as it is in heaven. When we do that, on that future day that the prophets point to, when God's work will be fully done on earth as it is in heaven, on that day, I do think God will say, church was good today.